0: It is good to be in L.A. So you can get
1: your face in the camera. You know, I figured if I was going to see something 20 or 25 times, I ought to know more about it. you the best son money can buy. It's a monkey. Well, sure it's a monkey. So aside from that, it's a vivid, wonderful film. Entertainment is part of what makes us exceptional. I'm not I'm not criticizing Hollywood. Without Derek Zoolander, male modeling wouldn't be what it is today.
0: I, I mean, I have to say, when I, when I heard that like, people actually watch this show, I and was, I was actually pretty
1: surprised. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the 13th episode of Watching Mates. That's that's a, a cursed number right there, as you'll soon see. <laughs> we uh, we are truly in the end game now. I'm your host this week, Lars Emerson, and I am joined by the merciful Michael Levito.
0: Oh, I am merciful. That's you
1: you are. You're one of the most <laughs> merciful people I know. But for our listeners, you know who we are. This is our podcast, hosted by ThePostWriter.com, in which we explore trends in film and cinema under each post-war American president. We talk about film in each president's era. Uh, Mike and I will each, you know, we each choose a film that we believe captures the zeitgeist of that administration on the silver screen. And in our episode this week, we're talking about America's 45th president. Drum roll, please. Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, feels a little recent, no? Well, that's right, everyone. This is our second to last episode. So let's get right into it. So every week in the Trump administration felt like a major news week. So here's my attempt at a light touch to cover everything that kind of happened those uh, exciting years. Donald Trump was a quote-unquote businessman and reality television star (laughs) who briefly flirted with a presidential run in 2000 in the Reform Party primary. You know, after that, he would rise to political prominence by drawing attention to the birther conspiracy, that being the racist claim that President Obama was not born in America. And then he sought the Republican presidential nomination in 2016, saying that he alone would make America great again. Definitely a political outsider, Trump Name-called his opponents. He rallied against immigrants as criminals and rapists. He called for a Muslim ban on, uh, well, Muslims entering the United States. He refused to condemn groups like the Ku Klux Klan, which supported him. And, of course, he bragged about sexually assaulting women on tape. There was a significant Stop Trump movement in the Republican Party, but his appeal to conservative voters and the party's winner-take-all primary system elevated his assent to the nomination... And he would defeat the Democrats nominee Hillary Clinton, if not in the popular vote, then in the Electoral College, by sweeping a number of historically Democratic Rust Belt states. His controversial victory resulted in Trump becoming the first president in history to have never served in public office or in the military. Uh, And he would come to govern as someone who, well, didn't really have a lot of experience. Shocker there. Uh, He called for a big, beautiful wall on the border with Mexico. He implemented his Muslim ban. He threw American allies under the bus. He enforced a family separation policy at the border, and he failed to seriously distance himself from his business empire. He shirked many conventions of the office, both by employing members of his own family in his administration and refusing to release his tax returns for years, even though he said he would do it. Social movements like uh, Hashtag Me Too, which was against sexual harassment, and the Black Lives Matter movement really kind of came to prominence under his administration. And the largest single-day protest in American history was the day after he took office, the Women's March. After white supremacists marched on Virginia uh, and clashed with anti-racist protesters, Trump stated that there were very fine people on both sides. Trump actually never once had an approval rating above 50%, and of course he would lose control of the House in 2018. Shortly thereafter, after it came to light that he pressured the president of Ukraine to interfere in the 2020 election and investigate Joe Biden, Trump was impeached and eventually acquitted in the Senate, though this was the first time a member of the president's own party voted to convict the president. That being the Republicans' former president's nominee only eight years prior, now Senator Mitt Romney. That was in 2020, and that proved to be the start of a very difficult year for Trump as a month later, the coronavirus pandemic slammed into the United States and lockdowns went into effect while millions of Americans lost their jobs. Trump downplayed the pandemic and clashed publicly with public health officials, but did sign a wave of massive stimulus legislation, and his Operation Warp Speed did facilitate a giant push into rapid vaccine development. But his actions did politicize many common sense health measures. Even in a nation lockdown, massive protests and riots broke out nationally that summer over the murder of George Floyd at the hands of the police. Trump replied with his law and order message defending the police. And by election day, over 200,000 Americans had died of COVID-19 while protesters were gunned down by vigilantes. Trump would lose reelection to Democratic nominee Joe Biden, but the little stinker wasn't done yet. (laughs) Trump refused to concede the election. He declared that he won the election, and he ranted for months that the election was stolen from him That there was a grand conspiracy. He pushed state officials in states like Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Georgia to overturn the elections or find ballots. And when it came time for Congress to certify the election on January 6th, 2021, President Trump held a rally down the street just outside the White House calling on his supporters to, quote, walk down Pennsylvania Avenue and, quote, fight like hell or you're not going to have a country anymore. A mob of Trump supporters, including white supremacists and right-wing militia members, stormed the Capitol, delaying the certification, and trashed the building. Trump was impeached again for this, but by the time the trial got underway, he was no longer president, having quietly left the White House as he refused to attend the inauguration of his successor, Joe Biden, thus riding into the sunset forever as the greatest president of all time. (laughs) (laughs) so sorry that was a lot everyone but for anyone listening like 50 years from now i think that's a pretty good summary it
0: was Uh, yeah i i when you had got to his first impeachment i was like oh man i forgot all about that
1: (laughs) yeah so much happened that was only like a year and a half ago And
0: that's also just, like, leaving out, like, when he did actually implement the Muslim ban, and there were just, like, those waves and waves of protesters and, like, pro bono lawyers just swarms, like, every airport in the country.
1: Yeah, I I cut a ton of stuff, like, the (laughs) the Mueller report I didn't really talk about either, because it kind of ended up being irrelevant. Uh, yeah, firing James Comey. Yeah, but that's uh, all everyone talked about for the first three years of his administration. It was really annoying. <laughs> Threatening to
0: go to war with North Korea and then <laughs> becoming best friends with Kim Jong-un. Yeah, yeah.
1: Lot, there's a lot of stuff that happens. So anyway, Mike, what do you think of Trump's legacy?
0: <laughs> I mean, say what you will about the man, but who was who more productive in the lame duck period than him? No, so I, I know I said in our Bush episode that you could make the argument that as for as reviled as Trump is, Bush was actually the worst president. And I think, you know, I kind of stand by that. But I will say that at the very least, Trump is my least favorite president of all time. And he accelerated within me a change in political philosophy that was already underway, but he just like was the nail in the coffin. And I, I have seen people who I know who are reliable Republican voters either swear off the party or change the registration or vote for a Democrat for the first time ever because of Donald Trump. And I will grant you that I live in like a northeastern bubble, but like I think it's kind of hard to overemphasize how much people hated this guy. And yet also how much some people absolutely loved him and how those people did not necessarily always fall across sort of the typical party lines. I do think there was like a realignment that happened under Trump. I don't know if it wasn't that realigned in his favor necessarily. Mm. But I I think, yes, history will look back on him as just one of the worst communicators of all time. One of the worst just administrators of all time and is just like a poisonous figure who almost and who knows, he's still alive, he still has time, almost destroyed American democracy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd say that that's a bit harsh, but it's really not right. I mean, you know, I think of Trump's legacy as one of divisiveness and that there is no going back from it, right? Mm -hmm. Is you you can say you could call Obama a divisive president or certainly Bush a divisive president. But but there were moments during each where they were not divisive, where there was actually pretty universal national, you know, in like 60 percent or more of the nation was like really behind this. And like we're like, okay, that's the president. Let's 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 do this. I don't think that will happen again for 20 (laughs) years or more. Right. I mean, you can look at you know, Biden's approval rating, and it is just so baked in, right? It's like, yeah, 40% of this country will never give him the time of day, even if he does everything they want. And 40% of this country is going to just support Biden because they don't want to look like they're supporting Trump, right? Mm -hmm. So that divisiveness is like a poison on America, and it is very much, you know, I think I I generally see Trump as like a symptom, but he has definitely made this poison stick.
0: Yeah. 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 Even among people I know who did vote for Trump, even they will admit that he is not a uniter, right? He is not interested in united the country. He is interested in dividing it. And it reminds me of sort of the ending of this book called Gang of Five by Nina Easton, which is about sort of like the conservative ascendancy. And I guess kind of like the late 80s, early 90s, like it talks a lot about Ralph Reed and Grover Norquist and all these figures who really kind of they started during the Reagan revolution, but really took off in like the Clinton era. And it ends with the election of George W. Bush and it basically says that you know a lot of these people did not want to govern the entire country they just wanted to govern their constituents and george w bush has to decide what kind of president he's going to be is he going to is he going to be everybody's president or is he just going to be the president of his voters And for whatever Bush's flaws, I do think he earnestly tried to be everybody's president. Uh, You could absolutely not say the same thing about Donald Trump,
1: like, at all. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And and just kind of his his violation of democratic norms is just, I mean, it's just frankly dangerous. I mean, we'll see, you know, three years from now. But there is a genuine risk that whoever wins the vote in some of these states will not be awarded the electors. Mm -hmm. And that is a direct response to Trump saying that he won <laughs> yeah. all of his elections that he did not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that's ignoring, like, his very real physical legacy, like three Supreme Court justices and, like, a quarter of the entire federal judiciary. But, like, that almost feels unimportant compared to everything else, even though it will probably be the most lasting. Yeah.
0: Even if you were, like, sympathetic to what he was espousing, like, on the campaign trail, it's not like he really executed on a lot of it, right? I mean, he did just a lot of mainstream Republican things, like cutting taxes. And appointing, you know, very conservative judges and stuff, right? He yeah. was not really a populist. I'm, you know, I, you know, you can give you can give him the wall that was never completed and probably never will be. Like you can <laughs> give him, I guess. I really, I think his most lasting legacy is foreign policy and trade. But, but it's not like he he he, he did not drain the swamp. If anything, he actually just sort of like dumped more water <laughs> into it.
1: Honestly, Dumped more crocodiles in there. <laughs> yes. So there is your not so brief overview and review of Trump's legacy in case you needed a refresher on, you know, the last couple of years. Now, again, the rules of our podcast dictate that Mike and I each had to choose a film that came out within the president's administration, give or take a year. So in Trump's case, that is films coming out starting in 2016 and going through 2021, the year in which Trump was replaced by Joe Biden. Let's dive right in. What film did you choose for Trump, Michael? I chose a movie called Hell or High Water,
0: directed by David Mackenzie, written by Taylor Sheridan, starring Jeff Bridges, Chris Pine, Ben Foster, Gil Birmingham. Hell or High Water is the story of Chris Pine and Ben Foster's characters, the Howard brothers, or these two brothers in West Texas who uh, have this plot to rob the bank that foreclosed on their deceased mother's ranch, rob basically all these different branches Launder the money through a casino and then use the money they stole to essentially buy back the ranch and then make a killing off of the oil that the ranch was built on top of. And while they're pulling off their robberies, Jeff Bridges, uh, who is a Texas Ranger and his partner, Alberto, are in hot pursuit of them. And that's kind of it. It's a pretty simple plot, actually.
1: (laughs) What, uh, What what do you think of this movie, Lars? So you and I actually watched this together not so long ago. Yeah. yeah, it's good. It's it's a, it's a pretty tight Neo-Western, right? It's less than two hours. It runs pretty concisely. I always kind of forget what happens in it, so it was exciting this time, too. I really enjoy all of the like action scenes are really good, but also all of the like sitting scenes. Like, I was so excited when they were exchanging money at the casino. I was like, that's, that's brilliant, because <laughs> they're not going to figure out where the money came from, because the casino has a bunch of money, and they give them the chips, and I was like... I was like that's genius, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it is very hard to do in real life, but I was very excited. It, it's a it's a good movie. I feel like it's a movie that has flown very quietly under the radar for most people,
0: yeah, even though it was a best picture nominee. yeah, it it is kind of and I think part of it is because it is it it's like a weirdly quiet movie. Like there's not like a lot of it's not very dialogue heavy. It's pretty like low key in some ways. and I, but I do like, yeah, how it plays with like, these western tropes. like there's even like a tense like poker game, right? Even yeah. though instead of being like you know a saloon, it's in this casino in Oklahoma. Yeah, it's 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 a good movie. But anyway, I, it it is also I would say not a subtle movie no. because the reason I chose this for Trump is literally the the opening scene is is kind of the sweeping shot across a bank and written in graffiti on the side of the bank is a message that reads three tours in Iraq, but no bailout for people like us. And I feel like that that kind of sums up the mind of a certain segment of Trump voters, which is this feeling that, you know, the war on terror had killed their children or their brothers or whatever. The financial crisis had stolen their homes and their mortgages and their pensions and stuff. And yet the people who were responsible for it did not get punished. And they needed an outsider to shake things up, you know, to drain the swamp, to, to, to hold the elites' feet to the fire. And this is kind of what that movie is about, right? It is about sort of striking back at the system. And, and I think that so my grand theory, right, is that you have these two brothers. You have Chris Pine's character, you have Ben Foster's character. And Chris Pine's the one who, like, hatches this scheme. And he's the one who kind of already l- sort of lives on the on, on the land. And the one who he's going to leave the land. He's actually not going to have – he's not going to keep the ranch for himself. He's actually going to give it to his kids, who's who he's estranged from. Um and he, he takes this 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 mission sort of very, very seriously, very solemnly, right? And he clearly feels bad about doing it. Like, he goes to length to try and not hurt anybody while he's robbing his banks. He makes it a point that he's robbing the banks, not the people. And he even admits that, you know, this is a bad thing that he's doing. On the flip side, you have Ben Foster's character, who is an ex-convict, who had murdered this guy's father, their father, because he was abusive. I think was in jail for, like, assault or something. I don't know what they really say and he is like very cavalier right he's having the time of his life robbing these banks he loves beating the crap out of people he's always like strapped he's very edgy and he it's clear that like he, he what he gets out of his whole experience that he just really gets to go like hog wild and like just be what he thinks is free and i feel like you can look at those as like how the Trump voters sees themselves and how many of them actually were, <laughs> which is not to say that all Trump voters were absolute psychos. I think many of them were just misguided. But, you know, you have this like, well, look, I'm just a downtrodden common man trying to do something that will secure the future for me and my children. But then you also have the flip side where it's like, I just want to do whatever the hell I want. I just want to, I just have issues with society and want to lash out at the whole world. And it's like, you have Ben Foster's like, is like the January 6th rioter type, right? <laughs> like he, is it just, just like he's just not not a guy who can like operate normally in the world. Can't relate to anybody else, and is lashing out. And it, it and it's I don't think it's a mistake either that this it culminates with him. And granted, this movie was made before Trump was elected, and probably made before he even announced he was running for president. His sort of like outburst it culminates in the death of a. Half Latino, half Native American Texas Ranger, right? And it's Jeff Bridges' character who, you know, is making a lot of racist jokes at this guy's expense, and who's kind of set in his ways. But once that death happens, it really shakes him, and it really disturbs him. And then he takes it upon himself to then go kill Ben Foster. And I, th- it's, it's, it's sort of like that domino effect, right? It's like, well, it can seem like what you're doing is not really having much of an effect, but it is, right? This has actual consequences. And you just indulging your bloodlust and your outlaw lust, basically,
1: is is not productive and is, in fact, destructive. Well said, Mike. Very well said. (laughs) Yeah. The opening of this movie, especially, it actually kind of reminds me a lot of like Roger and Me, Mm. where it's just sort of like a, you know, middle America in decline. Yeah. And and I I think you kind of you hit it right there. Right. It's, It's how to handle being taken advantage of by a system. And they see like the banking system is taking advantage of them and you know they are robbers taking advantage of like a downtrodden america yeah there are some elements of them that are a little egotistical and stupid but crime and kind of screwing over of others to get your way is a very trump move <laughs> yes I, I like what you said about how they're kind of two sides to the Republican coin. And your Jeff Bridges thing kind of makes me think he's like the Joe Biden answer, right? Is He's like the yeah. kind of racist old guy who's like, well, actually, this <laughs> is bad. I should change my ways.
0: Yeah. Or, he, or he's like, you know, like a, a Mitt Romney or like um, a Bill Cassidy or something like
1: that. Right. Like right. someone who voted to impeach. Right. There there are a couple scenes I want to point out in Hell or High Water. The The first was like, there's this kind of, not quite a crosscut, but like a contrast. And I believe it's when Chris Pine and Ben Foster, they're staying in the same hotel, hotel room at a casino. And well, Ben Foster's having sex on the other <laughs> bed behind him. And Chris yes. Pine just looks like so sad just sitting in his <laughs> bed. And that, that's like contrasted with old kind of Jeff Bridges He's just standing alone like naked in his room. Mm-hmm. It's just a very interesting scene where all of the characters are kind of together. And
0: Yeah, and what, what I think is interesting about those scenes too is that like, so this is a scene when Jeff Bridges and partner Alberto played by Gil Birmingham are like hanging out in this small town that has a Texas Midlands is the name of the bank that has has a bank branch they expect is gonna be hit. And there's kind of like staring at the the bank and talking And Alberto's like he's like they he says they stole they meaning sort of like the white man meaning America stole this land from my ancestors and now they meaning the bank is stealing it from them right and it is this very sort of like you know it's it's like look there there is sort of like a intersectional struggle if you will right a sort of like there 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 are some legitimate points being made. But it's like
1: clearly, you know,
0: not not going the way they they should go about it.
1: Yeah, I, the other thing you mentioned that I want to come back to is I kind of did like a death count for this movie, mm-hmm. and it's like who who ends up dying at the end of this movie, right? And it's uh, the only minority character, like you said, mm-hmm. and then it's like cops and security guards. Mm-hmm. Well, and yes, I, I guess Ben Foster gets shot in the head at the end, yeah. but Chris Pine and Jeff Bridges kind of walk out walk out of this okay yeah there's or there's like a understanding between them of some yeah sort.
0: well it, it is interesting i feel like you could write if you were so inclined you could like you know there could be fan theories that it's like they end up like in a fight to the death later on because it's like because <laughs> yeah. what happens is jeff bridges comes to the ranch and he basically the official texas ranger line becomes like ben foster acted alone chris pine doesn't have a record so it's pretty clear it wasn't him we killed ben foster whatever it's all good but jeff bridges isn't convinced and he confronts chris pine at the ranch and chris pine's just kind of like you know you should you, you should you should come meet me at like my house on down the road and we can continue this conversation jeff bridges is like all right and so
1: you know may, may, maybe they got into something <laughs>
0: afterwards yeah
1: right the the other scene i wanted to bring up I agree with, like, you see Ben Foster as, like, the more militant, mm-hmm. you know, right-winger, or what, for lack of a better word. But I actually think the scene that made me think most of, like, your stereotypical Trump voter, or that made me think the most of, like, Trump, was they're, they're at the uh, gas station. Mm-hmm. And Ben Foster's mm-hmm. asleep in the car, and Chris Pine is in the gas station. Uh, and there's, like, this green sports car that, like, cruises up <laughs> and, like like comes out and starts like cursing at him just for like sleeping in his car while his brother's in the gas station you know because they are whoever's in the green car they may not be rich but they think that they're better than everyone else mm-hmm.
0: yeah it's like there's this theme of like kind of just like belligerence for belligerence sake and there's that scene in the casino ben foster's playing poker and there's a guy there who's a comanche and um the command they got the the guy who's a comanche is like you know what comanche means you goes it means it means enemy to everyone and ben foster goes ah well then maybe that must make me a comanche then right it's like he's an enemy to everybody right anybody that's not him is an enemy to him and i feel like that's a very sort of like trumpian mentality
1: yeah i don't don't know i get a little lost just kind of explicitly connecting ben foster's character to trump because because it's too gritty right
0: (laughs) yeah well i don't think he's like trump but he is like a Trump voter is like how I read.
1: But I do think this film points to where things are going, right? Is, is there's the scene where they're in the hotel room and that's, uh, Jeff Bridges and Gil Birmingham of Breaking Bad fame. (laughs) And they're watching this, like this like evangelical preacher on TV. Mm -hmm. And then they make some comment about it that is relevant, but is not really where my mind (laughs) went is there's this thing called like the prosperity gospel and evangelism and, uh, I am not the one who noticed this. I'm taking this actually from an Economist article from 2017 that has always been like front of my mind whenever I think of Trump. Is, is it talks about why evangelicals like love Trump so much, despite the fact that he's clearly not pious <laughs> or mm-hmm. uh, a religious man. And, and it's like, it's not about that. It's about creating success and God manifesting wealth. And this this kind of gospel, you hold up these like celebrities, these like godlike figures who have found and I'm quoting from the article here. It's like found the rungs of an invisible ladder to success that that's kind of written all over this movie. I mean, in the TV scene, but there's also like the, the movie, like very deliberately focuses on like the signs in these towns in decline. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like fast cash when you need it. was yeah. one and yeah. stuff like that is there's a lot of quick, quick ways out. Mm hmm. <laughs> in greed. Yeah. It does feel very prescient.
0: It does. And it's interesting because I feel like that is like a theme of like the Trump movement is sort of a contempt for sacrifice. And maybe this is just sort of like a purely like COVID related thing, but it's like, you know, there, I don't know, there, there, there's to me a sense of it where it's like a demand for basically constant satisfaction in a way. But there's a sense that it's like, it shouldn't be incumbent on me to make sure things are okay. I should be able to do whatever. Like I, what I think the big thing about Trump is that he gave license for, for people to basically no longer pretend that they weren't selfish. Right. Like, I think that's the biggest thing. And I think specifically about like COVID-19 lockdowns and the process to the lockdowns. Right. You know, it, it was sort of like cloaked in this idea of like, Oh, like, you know, we want to sort of protect our freedoms and our businesses and whatever. I think there's an element of truth to that. Right. Like I think, you, you had, like, legitimate gripes if you were a small business owner during that time. But, like, if you're someone who's just, like, whining that you can't go to a restaurant, like, that's your problem, right? Like, that that is, like, not good. Like, that is, that is a lack of willingness to sacrifice and to actually think about what m- might be better for your, like, fellow American. And I think there's an element of sort of, like, it, it is just really, like, the whole get-rich-quick thing, right? It's, it's like John Mulaney said, right? Trump is just, like, what a... what an old-timey hobo's idea of, like, a rich person is, right? He literally has a gold toilet, you know? Mm. And I think that that all plays a role. Yeah. Good pick. Anything else on Hell or High Water? I mean, there is just, like a lot of um little like comments like uh the vigilantism of like the various figures in the towns who like aren't Texas Rangers right oh, well, th- there's like
1: it? the scene where they rob the bank and because of mm. course it's Texas literally yeah. everybody's has a gun.
0: and then there's a fleet of like range rovers following them but then there's also like when Jeff Bridges is investing in the first bank that gets robbed some guy makes a comment where he's like he's like well it's a good thing if they use like If they ran into me, you know, I'd I'd string them up on the nearest tree. And Jeff Bridges would be like, well, I'm afraid that would actually not end very well for you. Like, I would have to arrest you if you did that. And he's like, yeah, well, if you could find the tree. And there's just this kind of like idea of like, we have to take the laws into our own hands. Even the police have
1: become so corrupt by the elites that we have to become our own regulating force. Well, and there's an early scene, too, where like one of the witnesses is like, I think if he was a Mexican. Say that about no. They, they
0: ben, say they say they, they're like, "Why are you doing this? You're not even Mexican," is what they say. It doesn't. And, but
1: doesn't a witness like try to describe Ben Foster? No, they,
0: like they they say they were dressed they were dressed in baggy clothes like those thugs from Dallas,
1: which is you know an obvious dog whistle. Yeah. Which. I suppose it's a good transition. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the film I went with was 2018's Black Klansman, directed by Spike Lee. It stars John David Washington, Adam Driver, Topher Grace, Laura Harrier, Alec Baldwin, and Paul Walter Hauser. It tells the mostly true story, though the film takes some pretty dramatic (laughs) diversions. Uh, about Ron Stallworth, who is uh, a black police officer in Colorado Springs, who joins the Ku Klux Klan over the phone <laughs> in the 1970s. And he partners with Flip Zimmerman, who is played by Adam Driver, uh, who is a-, a Jewish man who can pass for a white man, as they say <laughs> in the film, uh, to like be him in the Klan as they try to infiltrate uh, the Colorado Springs chapter of the Ku Klux Klan uh mike this was your first time seeing black klansman did you love it or did you really love it
0: i would say that i enjoyed it i thought i thought it was a well-made movie i don't understand why because like the actual story took place in 1978 but this movie takes place in 1972 i don't really understand why they did that i think it was maybe just they could have nixon campaign posters all over the place yeah i thought that was a good it's interesting right it is it Is at once incredibly disturbing because it involves the Ku Klux Klan, but it is also very funny like there, there's an element of them kind of just like clowning on the clan, and I think John David Washington is actually like very funny in his role, as is like Paul Walter Hauser, um, as it, Topher
1: Grace is also very funny. He plays David <laughs> Duke, the comedy role of the. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it, it's a very well acted movie. I, yeah. I love the casting in this movie,
0: and like I, I, I think that what they were trying to do is they were trying to kind of make it like a black exploitation movie, like they were trying to kind of make it like Shaft, So, like. It has this, like, weird ending. Not, like, the ending ending, which we're going to keep for the end. But this, like, weird ending where, like, it's almost... It feels almost, like, too rosy for, like, a true story where it's, like, they end up busting this racist cop and they, like, all high-five each other. (laughs) And I feel like that's probably because it's it's supposed to be more of, like, a... They're trying to make it into kind of, like, this, like, 70s, like, shaft-like fantasy. But I think it, it, like, mostly works. There's, again, like, some very affecting scenes. Like, the scene where it contrasts the like black student union meeting where Harry, Harry Belafonte is speaking about a lynching he witnessed. And then it contrasts that with the, like the clan initiation meeting where they're all watching the birth of a nation and like Mm. cheering it on is very effective. And also just like the scene where they're just like dancing to too late to turn back now. Also really good. I love that scene. Yes. I, I, I went back and rewatched it actually when I was done with the movie. Um, But I think it is something very interesting where it's like... So, uh, two things. One is that, like, if this movie were released in, like, 2020, I'd be very interested to what the reception would be. Because it's, like, an ostensibly pro-cop movie. It is, yeah. I was going to get into uh, that. Ron Stallworth, the, the black police officer, falls in love with, like, a campus radical who he was initially investigating undercover. And they argue about, like, are there any good cops? Can you reform the system from the inside? I think the message of the movie is basically yes, although they kind of leave it unresolved because they they argue and then the sort of ending sequence that we'll save for later kicks off.
1: The argument clearly seems to be yes, in a way, right, is, is they do contrast early on in the movie. You know, the Klan is talking about like, oh, we hate all black people. And Ron Stallworth is like talking to his kind of girlfriend. He's like, so you hate all cops. You're generalizing about an entire genre of people, even if they're a black cop in the same way that the clan is generalizing about an entire genre of people they they very deliberately make that point yeah and the film like has a bad cop character who i believe is not canonical to the actual story in real life kind of explicitly for that purpose right mm-hmm. yes i i think there is a semi well if not pro-cop it's pro don't judge people
0: <laughs> yeah Well, it's interesting, right, because it does remind me of, and it's terrible for multiple reasons, but I don't remember if it was after the shooting in Christchurch, New Zealand, or the one in Canada at the Sikh temple, but uh, I was very much monitoring right-wing news sources then, and National Review actually wrote an article after one of those that was like, the FBI needs to, like, rededicate, like, resources to fighting the Ku Klux Klan. Like, Mm. they did it in the past, and, like, this is, like, a legitimate and very important use of law enforcement is to, like, tamp down violent hate groups, which I think is true. And I think the way that, in some ways, there was, like, maybe uneasy alliances between certain groups and, you know, the sort of, like, law enforcement community, I guess. Like, especially when it came to, you know, like, the, the January 6th riot, right? It came after this whole summer where like people were like very upset at the police and rightfully so and yet sort of like the big sticking point with for a lot of people is that like this is an event where like a cop died right and that should tell you all you need to know about these people who are rioting and that hmm. should especially make them bad but what i what i think that this like like that the dancing team in particular because i i mentioned i rewatched it after i watched the movie Is that, like, it comes after she's describing this, like, very disturbing experience she has where she gets pulled over by the racist cop. And they're sort of, like, frisked and she's, like, sexually harassed and stuff. But then it transitions into this, like, very joyous dance scene. And I feel like part of this movie is just, like, Spike Lee being like, you know, people can have, like, fun, too, right? It's like, you understand that, like, I know things are bad, but, like, you can still, like, have fun. Like, I feel like there was sort of among some people mostly just people on twitter but like there was this idea that it's like we can't like you know this is not normal like we have to devote all of our energy 100 percent to fighting trump we can't enjoy things like i remember specifically when the capitals won the stanley cup and they had the parade in washington there was some guy on twitter who was like i don't understand how all these people can be just enjoying themselves at the stanley cup parade now because blah 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 and it's like you understand that like we're like like, a day is a long time, and we can't devote all day to, like, you know, being angry at Trump. Go
1: again. Caps, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I go Rangers. But, again, that's not, like, the point of the movie, but it's the point of that scene, right? The point of the movie is that, actually, yes, racism is very bad, and Donald Trump is very bad. <laughs> and we should recognize the uh, the patterns of white supremacy, because... The the language that uh, the members of the clan and especially David Duke is evoke the rhetoric of Donald Trump, right?
1: Yes, mm-hmm. and you know I, I've I've kind of wanted to choose this film since we started this podcast for Trump, kind of explicitly for that reason. Is we've I mean we've hinted kind of all along that like film in the Trump era was always about Trump, even if it mm-hmm. didn't mention him. I mean you could say like Thanos. People wrote articles about how Thanos is Trump, <laughs> right? It's like okay, Thanos is a character who's existed for years, but it's like, yes, I can see that, right? Is everything was Trump all the time. And here's a movie that kind of explicitly acknowledges that and is very on the nose, right? They go out of their way to, you know, to say like America first. And uh, and yeah, like David Duke on the phone with, you know, Ron, he's like, we need people like you and I to help America see its greatness again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm very excited we're at, this point and this film if not in american history then because I, I think it's good content i think another
0: uh, one of the clansman makes some comment about like murderers and rapists too which is you know the the line that everybody associated with donald trump when he was first running for president because that's what he said mexico was pouring into our borders and yeah and, and like Topher grace's delivery is david duke too like it it's funny because like it's not like he wasn't like this like super stern-faced like you know, guy rattling off like all these effective talking points. He was like always like stumbling and kind of bumbling. I don't know. It it just felt like a like a very classic like not smart guy trying to sound smart. And and I I think that's part of the message of the movie too. Is like these people are like not smart and should be easy to beat, right? It's right. like literally like, at the end of the day, what ends up being their downfall is actually their own incompetence, which yeah. I think you could honestly say was in a way the case for Trump too, right? Like, I, I think by almost any measure, he ran a terrible campaign in 2020, right? And the fact that he just decided he was going to ignore the pandemic also definitely did not help, right? Like, he was very much his worst enemy when it came to him
1: winning re-election. Right. And as we kind of said at the beginning of this podcast, is he did nothing to go out of his way to unite the country. That is the biggest mistake. Your advantage, if you are elected president, and this is the reason why almost every president is re-elected, is because you never have to compete in a primary ever again. You can move to the center as Barack Obama did, as Bill Clinton did, uh, in a way as George W. Bush did, right? Is They all just moved to the center and they have instantly won that election. Yeah. Uh, we can pretend it was close or not. Like, I, I guess 2004 was close and 2012 was not really close, but we all thought it was. But it's like, it is so easy to just say, well, I don't ever need to run a primary again. I don't actually ever have to run another election again. I can just pander to exactly middle America for the rest of this election. And Trump did like literally the opposite. He every Republican in the country would have voted for him if he'd have just said, "Okay, well, maybe I'm not going to be a terrible racist for a year. (laughs) Like he still would have had all of his supporters. Right. But he could Mm -hmm. have gained maybe the suburbanites who just completely flood the party you know it's just an incredibly stupid mistake
0: yeah and also like because you know it's like well obviously well it's like you know oh coronavirus didn't help his prospects basically everybody else every other world leader their approval right. ratings went up during covid because it was a crisis and they were like display like boris johnson the guy who gets compared to trump all the time his approval ratings like went up during covid right and like they had like more problems with their vaccine stuff than the u.s did and he's probably gonna win reelection too. So it's just like yeah. Yeah. Not not not, not a skilled politician,
1: I would say. Um, no. So yeah, we've we've kind of danced around a lot going on in this movie already. I, I guess the, the, the place I want to start is actually with like the clan characters. Mm-hmm. Is I, I think the most interesting dynamic is between so there's like the chapter president who is played by Ryan Eggold. And it he's like <laughs> You know, I was you kind of root for him in this movie, right? Because mm-hmm. he's he's very much trying to tamper Felix, who is like a crazy nut job played by uh, Jasper Pakkonen. So, like, you you you're sort of actually rooting for Ryan for the first you know two thirds of this movie. You know, yes, he's evil because he's a clan chapter leader, but like he's very much like we cannot let Felix run this chapter. Like, people are gonna die, right? He's the nonviolent clansman, <laughs> right? Right. Um, he's like, we never say clan, we just say the organization. It feels very actually modern. Uh, if not like Republican, then certainly alt-right, right? Is like, if you're an elected Republican in the age of Trump, your, your MO is basically, we're going to temper him by going along with it, right? It's like, mm-hmm. we can try and have one hand on the wheel and hopefully things work out. Of course, I think ultimately Felix's aggression wins out there. Yeah. Yeah. And they they even saved
0: David Duke, right? It's like his whole thing was that he was trying to make the clan respectable, right? Like they didn't want to appear in public in like hoods and 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 uh, robes and they wanted to appear, you know, polite. They didn't want to be sort of as explicitly racist. They wanted to sort of launder their ideology through more utilitarian language and that's literally like, you know. And and it's like the the one like Ron Stahl supervisor is like explaining the strategy to him. I start with it's like, ugh, but we would like, Merrick would never elect somebody like David Duke. And he's like, you're being like, naive. And which yeah. is like, obviously, like the very explicit point is that David Duke did endorse Donald Trump, and Donald Trump did end up winning, which is an outcome that a lot of people did not think was possible.
1: And yeah, a, a lot of the especially once like Adam drivers gets involved, you know, it, it's it just sort of like starts to seep out, right? Is you know, there. are you know, he goes to his first meeting undercover. I, was, I mean, the rhetoric is, like, ripped straight out, right? It's like, they're taking over. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, you know, oh, now we can't say this, we can't say that. Let's just say what we're all thinking. This yeah. is, it's, it is, like, it's so on the nose, but I think it just does it so well. It's like every other, uh, so many of these, like, you know, politically woke movies that came out of the Trump era were just so, like, like you kind of groan when they do stuff like this, but mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. By kind of making it like, an enjoyable and kind of fun to, like, Mm -hmm. follow along with this, that they do actually a great justice to it.
0: Yeah, like, this movie, the same year, like, Black Panther came out, and, like, I enjoy the movie Black Panther, but, like, the end of credit scene of Black Panther is, like, literally T'Challa addressing the UN talking about why it's good to not be isolationist right <laughs> like it is pretty not subtle right right
1: and you know it also deals with kind of like to go over to the police side and John David Washington's character Ron Stallworth it deals with a lot of stuff that people I think learned about in the Trump era it's you know it deals very directly with code switching right is mm-hmm. I I I bet most people before Trump did not know what that meant but I bet almost everyone does now yeah um and, you know, he they make a kind of a joke out of code switching where he like tries to pretend to be like a white clan <laughs> member on the phone. Yeah. And then at the end, you know, he kind of tricks David Duke and like reveals himself. And you know, they talk about like micro and macro aggressions, you know, dog whistling. I mean, it's all addressed in this movie very succinctly. It's It's well done in that regard.
0: Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it is. And yeah, it's like like a thing that I think like can't really be ignored is that like
1: people like moved to the
0: left like because of Trump, right? It's like my like 95% plus white hometown like in 2020 was was covered in Black Lives Matter signs. Which is mm. not a thing I would happen. I think would happen even like in 2014 during the first wave of like Black Lives Matter protests, right? Trump's election like made people want to learn, um, right? And, and and want to kind of like change. And like I think there were some people like grifters who who took advantage of that. But like you know I think there was like a lot of genuine interest that like it really did move it like it you know really the suburbs left, but I think it's a lot of people left too. It it caused like this really. Stark reevaluation of like what was possible, and 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 I think in a way that that's kind of exemplified through Adam Driver's character, because because Ron Staworth is like, why why are you not like more as concerned as I am, right? You're Jewish, they hate you too, like you have skin in the game, and he's kind of resistant to that idea, but eventually he comes around, he's like, look, he's like, I never really thought about it before, I didn't, and now it's the only thing I can think about. Right. And I think that was that's kind of one of the lasting legacy of the Trump administration is that people now just can't not think about it. And I think right. also people just could not think, could not not think about him, right. From day to day, like, cause he was just so unpredictable and like yeah.
1: <laughs> disturbing, honestly. Yeah. I, I love, I love that line uh, by Adam driver. And, and, and I mean, like you said, I mean, the, the setting of this movie is also kind of important, right? I mean, it's set in Colorado, which is a very white suburban state. And it's also, it would move very dramatically Against Trump is this the kind of people I mean, even Colorado Springs, which is a very, you know, conservative place has is not actually that conservative anymore. It's it's like you said, it's like people, they were willing to learn and they learned a lot in the Trump years. (laughs) That's for sure. So the one thing. (laughs) Uh, now that we're kind of reaching the end of talking about Black Klansmen, we should talk about it in full. So the film ends at first with you know a, a cross burning mm-hmm. that that is witnessed by Ron Stallworth, uh, but there's actually a scene after that. Is this film is probably the closest we've now come to uh, breaking our rule about this podcast. It it you know it, it goes from this cross burning uh, and transitions into the Charlottesville rally in 2017. And, you know, it, Trump is very, <laughs> he is on screen at this point. He's talking about how uh, how there were very fine people on both sides. And it shows footage of, you know, people getting run over and protesting and white supremacists marching in the year 2017. Not subtle at the end there at all.
0: No, not at all. And it, it is very disturbing. And it is also this movie was released uh, on the anniversary of like the the one year anniversary of the, the rally and it, it is so mind-boggling that it, it was like a layup right could trump could have just been like nazis are bad confederates <laughs> are bad i don't condone violence by anybody but that's bad but he didn't like he just he didn't so yeah it does a pretty effective i think more so than a lot of movies and other things like does a pretty good job of connecting, you know, the events of the past with the events of the present, right? Like, cause you know, you have to you have David Duke plays a buffoon by Topher Grace throughout the movie, <laughs> but then you have actual footage of him in Charlottesville. What I like about Trump is that he said this, and I think we are on the way to doing this. And yeah, I, and so, yeah, it's like, you know, it's a thing that Spike Lee likes to do a lot. I don't think it always works. If you really want to know, what it was like to live under the Trump administration, just like watch that footage and that that's what it was like. Like it is it's cause you and I have been to Charlottesville and it's like insane that like a place that I have been has seen that much recently. Basically yeah. just like political violence, right? Right. It's 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 easy to forget about, but it's uh it's pretty
1: disturbing. It is. And and to kind of bring this full circle is the film singles out Heather Heyer, who is the only person who died Mm -hmm. Uh, And the attack and she's you know a white woman who is counter protesting the unite the right rally very much on the good side and the film ends with kind of like not quite a dedication but it's like it it applauds her which you know to go full circle kind of goes to what we said at the beginning where it's like this film is actually more about people coming together. Than it is. this is like a white girl right <laughs> mm-hmm. who was doing a, a good thing and helping people by standing up for the right side of history is to be against you know white supremacists and spikely like very deliberately singles her out instead of any of the you know black counter protesters or so, mm. so on and i think that's a very interesting choice and a very unexpected choice by him and on, i would not have expected it like in the Trump era at all, right? It it is like, there was almost, you know, in the farther left corners of Twitter and dialogue, it's like, we don't really need to care what these white people (laughs) say, but he's actually deliberately saying like, she died doing a good thing and we should not discount her just because of that, right? Not just because of the color of her skin.
0: Yeah, I, I think in a way this movie does try to in some way make the argument that like sort of the far right and the Hulks clan like are a fringe. And I understand the tendency to like, you know, basically just like paint with the broad like a broad brush and just be like it, it's all these white people's fault. I think part of it is because like it, it dwells so much time off the clan. But like, you know, there is that that scene when um David Duke is giving a speech and you have all the like waiters at the event. Like are standing against the wall, and it's like all these the like w- these white women who are working there are like very into it, and all the black women are just like we had no idea that this, <laughs> was <gonna happen>. right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, if we had known, we would not be working today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was actually very funny. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's like you know you have like these white cops who are like also very into the idea of bringing down the Klan, and again, it's like a movie that. Had it come out two years later, I feel like would not have gotten as good a reception because of that. But but I, I think there is something because, you know, I feel like Spike Lee very much has the reputation of being, you know, people have accused him of being anti-white. I don't think he is. I mean, he's worked with enough like white actors and like writers right. and stuff that I think it'd be an exaggeration to say that. But like, you know, it doesn't have these sort of like you can watch you can watch Do the Right Thing and be like, well, why, why did they do Danny Aiello like this, right? Like, why did they have to burn down his pizza place? Right. But it's like, you don't really get that same reaction walking Black... Like, there's actually a... I would argue a more unifying message from Black Klansmen. Yes. Then something
1: like do the right thing yes i completely agree anything else on black Klansman, mike i don't think so no i i I will say it again the acting of this film is impeccable that adam driver did not win an oscar and that like almost no one else even got nominated is ridiculous yeah Um, i was
0: i had not seen john david washington in a lot outside of like tenet Um, well yeah and i know after 10 people were like are we sure he's like a good actor and not just denzel washington's son?" but i think he's actually like very good in this yes
1: also the soundtrack to this film might be like my favorite soundtrack from the last five years mm. it's really good yeah all right and that is black klansman so, Mike, what can we say about film in the Trump era? What what connects these films?
0: I think there is a lack of subtlety in a lot of them, right? Yeah. People were very much clamoring to comment on what was going on. But I also think there was just a fascination in what we viewed as, like, marginalized members of society, whether it is African Americans or whether it actually was, you know, basically just, you know, rural whites, right? You know, I, with Hell or High Water, you know, it's I don't think it's a coincidence that, like, before Hell or High Water, you had shows like Sons of Anarchy or Justified, which were also about those kinds of communities. And granted, they all predated Trump, but it was definitely the lead up to something, right? And the lead up to the idea that, like, this population is significant for good or for ill, but it's very significant, right? And just, like, a consciousness, if you will, about, about these kinds of things. Um,
1: yeah. Right. I mean, there's 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 two theories to Trump's kind of electoral success. Right. And the the original theory that everyone would never shut up about is like Trump spoke to these forgotten voters, you know, who are in economic strife in the Midwest. And, you know, they're very sad and upset and they needed someone who spoke to their interests. And that I feel like that prevailed for most of his early presidency before, like, actual <laughs> data started to come out, and it's like, okay, no, actually, Trump like mostly succeeded because of racism, and mm-hmm. people thought that people who didn't look like them were doing better. We've got a we've got a good article series on the Post Writer about what's going on in the Midwest and all that actually coming out these days. So check that out.
0: Yeah, well, it it, it I, I think you could almost. Like, because after the election, right, it was like there were like the this is why Trump won, like think pace industry was like, you know, just like really, really killing it. Right. Like, right. if you could buy if you could buy your stock in in, in the phrase, this is why Trump won, you know, you'd right. be doing very well. And I feel like in a way, hell or high water. So like the I would say maybe immediate reaction where it's like, well, it's because you know, rural communities feel alienated from the rest of the country for a blah, blah, blah reason, and people are still very upset about the the financial crisis, and this is kind of, like, the, the build-up of, sort of, like, on the one hand, the Tea part like, the, the shared sentiments of the Tea Party movement, like, the Occupy movement, right? And mm-hmm. this is uh, how it manifested through votes, and <laughs> Black Clansom was, like, with, like, two more years of, like, experience, it's like, oh, no, it was also
1: just, like, you know, a lot of
0: people who were super racist,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. And who just really did not care about other people yeah so i I think we chose well in that regard i agree all right and that is our show everyone i hope you enjoyed it and as always you can drop us a line on social media or on the dot com to let us know any movie suggestions you may have for presidents coming up (laughs) presidents plural Uh, no, just kidding. In the meantime, I have been Lars Emerson. You can find me on Letterboxd at Lars Emerson. And I'm Mike Levito. You can find me on Letterboxd at at Amerimike and Twitter at mlevito. And Watching Mates is a PostWriter podcast brought to you by ThePostWriter.com. You can like and subscribe to this podcast wherever podcasts are found. And, of course, you can follow us both on ThePostWriter.com. And we will see you next time for our season finale on the films of the young Biden administration. (laughs) Not that he's young, but his administration certainly is.